the Apostle John writes, Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know the truth. I don't write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and no lie comes from the truth. Who's the liar? It's the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone else to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Let's pray as we open up the word this morning. Father, as we come to you this morning, we are struck with the battle that exists in this world over our souls. Sometimes we forget that, that this spiritual battle does not just exist to, before we step over the line of faith, but even within the community of faith, the church, there are forces trying to take us down and destroy us, lead us astray. And some of us this morning feel like we've been chewed up and spit out and we're sitting here reeling because of what has happened to us in church and churches and with church people. And pray that you would minister to us this morning. That your son Jesus would be tangible to us this morning. As we consider how some of us who, who are just fearful of engaging with church life because of some things we've experienced in the past that you would meet us today and bring healing to us, health to us, and you would begin to serve us by ministering to us through your word and by your spirit, through your son Jesus, we pray in his name, amen. We're in 1 John chapter 2 this morning. Because our new house lights are installed, you can see uh, 1 John chapter 2 this morning, which is amazing, yes. Praise the Lord for that. Have you ever been so exhausted that you just feel like you're done? Like physically exhausted, emotionally exhausted, spiritually exhausted, right? You get to that point that you're about to hit a wall, and, and all you want to say is, I'm done. To your boss, to your spouse, to your kids, to life, to God, I'm, 
I'm done. But sometimes in those moments we're, we're so done, we can't even get the words out. We just sit there and stare at the ground. I had an experience like this a few months ago. I had some friends invite me to go surfing with them, which sounds really fun, except I don't know how to go surfing. I thought, well, how hard can it be? Right? I lowered my expectations. I said, I'm not going to actually surf. I'm just going to paddle out, and I'm just going to do what they do on movies. Right? I'm just going to sit there on the board and bob up and down and have some conversations with my friends while they surf. I could sit with a good vantage point and pray and watch. And... But sitting on a little board in the middle of the ocean... It's harder than it looks. I get fallen off the board. Right? I'm getting exhausted trying to sit there. And as I fall off the board, I keep tumbling farther and farther away from my friends. And, and so I see them just drifting off. And I'm thinking, is this what my day is going to be like? Just kind of rolling through the ocean farther away. And I'm getting tired. And what I didn't realize was that every time I fell off my board and got back on, I got a little bit closer to shore which meant I was getting a little bit closer to the place where the waves were breaking on top of people. And so at one point I turn around and I see this giant wave just coming up, right? And I'm thinking, I don't know if I'm going to be able to float over this one. And sure enough, just boom! And it just sends me straight towards the bottom of the ocean, which I don't know how deep it was, but it felt really deep when I wasn't expecting to be that far underwater. And so I'm swimming, trying to get to the top, right? And I get up and I just go... <gasps> And then I go to kind of chase my leash to find my board, and the board is gone. And just then another wave hit me. And now I'm somersaulting, like head over heels. Like I'm in one of those cool like wheel things, gyroscope spinning, but there was no gyroscope. It's just me and God's ocean. And then I come up again, and I'm looking around trying to get my bearing, and I see my friends, and then boom, it hits me again. And then boom, it hits me again. And I'm running out of breath, and I'm trying to stay above water, but I keep getting pummeled, and I think, i got to get out of these waves. And so I start to swim towards the shore, but it's sucking me back in again. That's when panic started to set in. I saw this jetty coming out, like all these rocks, concrete, jetty. I thought, okay, if I could just get to the jetty, it's only 15 feet away, I'll be safe. So I start swimming as hard as I can towards the jetty. And just then my surfboard that I had lost flies over my head, hits the jetty, and explodes in front of me. Right? I'm like, get away from the jetty, get away from the jetty, get away from the jetty. So I start swimming away from the jetty, but all the undertow is sucking me into the jetty. And I'm thinking, okay, I look up at the lifeguard stand, like, okay, it's time. Like, flag, you know, and nobody's in there. And all the surfers are down there, everyone on the beach is looking the other way, and I'm just dying alone. So I thought, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm either going to die. And I thought about dying. I realized in this moment that I would rather drown than yell audibly for help. I thought, what does that mean about myself? But then I'm underwater again. I thought, okay, here's what I got to do. I just got to get to the jetty, just take one wave. Maybe it'll smash me. Maybe I'll survive, and then I'll just crawl to shore. And so I just, like, swim. I get sucked out and then sucked back in, and I'm swimming, swimming, swimming. I jump on this big concrete jetty. It's all slippery. I'm scratching up the inside of my body, and then boom, this wave hits me. And, like, Ugh! and then I crawl up on top, and it's so slippery, and I'm just dragging myself up towards the beach. And now people are watching me. And I roll, literally, roll off the jetty onto my broken surfboard. And I'm just staring up at the sky for like five or ten minutes, just staring there. No one comes to talk to me. <laughs> and then I finally got the energy to like sit back up again. And I, 
<laughs> stared at the ground. I don't know why I made that sound. I stared at the ground. I'm like, PTSD right now. And I had, I had two thoughts in, in my brain. One, I'm glad I'm alive. I actually had three thoughts. Two, I'm never going to tell my wife about this. And then three, I'm never going surfing ever again. And the reason I bring up that story is I think some of us have that exhausted, spent, destroyed feeling about church and church people. And some of us have been sitting here for a long time, you know, catching our breath. I've talked to some people this week who, who started coming to this church because they were in a different church where they just got chewed up and spit out. So they've just been sitting, kind of sitting on the beach, sitting on the surfboard, sitting on their broken life and just watching for a while. And if that's you this morning, you're probably thinking, you know what, I'm glad I made it out alive. But I'm not doing church ever again. I'm not getting involved again. I'm not stepping into leadership again. I'm not, I'm not going to step into community again. I'm not going to do the thing that Lisa says I'm not doing that again. I'm going to sit here. If anyone tries to talk to me, I'll find a new church. <laughs> You're here because you know that you love Jesus. But the spiritual abuse that you faced was real. And it sucked all of the spiritual vitality out of you. And now you're just here. Glad you're alive. But that's about it. John writes this letter to folks who've been in contact with some spiritual abusers. The folks in the church and churches that John is writing to had some people who came in and just wrecked them taught them weird things, advocated for strange things, turned them against their former leadership, just turned their faith inside out and then left. And John starts to write this letter to say, hey, listen, I know you've heard a lot of voices, but, but listen to mine. I'm going to get you back in the game again. Come and follow me. I'm going to show you how to really walk with Jesus. You can trust me. But you know it, if some blonde, long-haired guy showed up to me on the beach that day and said, hey, I saw what happened out there, come with me, I'll get you back in the water, I would say, absolutely not. <laughs> I have no interest in getting back in the water. And as I start to, to read this chapter in, in John's epistle, I start to feel like he's recognizing that the audience that he's writing to really has no desire to get back in the game. That he can say all he wants about, you can trust me, I'm a good voice, listen to me. But these people have faced some terrible things from church people or people who called themselves church people. And so in John chapter 2, in these verses that we've read, it's almost like he sits down on the sand on the surfboard next to him and says, can we talk about what happened to you? Maybe it's not time to get back in the game, but maybe it's time to really come to terms with what happened to you. And maybe you're not ready to talk about that. I'm not going to make you talk this morning, but this morning, if that's you, if you've been through that, if you've experienced a glimpse of that, 
What John does in this text this morning is comes alongside someone like you and says, I want to give some insight into how you were hurt so that you might be healed as you are ministered to by the Spirit of God who still lives in you. John uses a word that we don't use very often. This is in verse John 2, verse 18. If you're reading it, you can look there. He says, Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you've heard, the Antichrist is coming. And even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. Normally the people that I know who talk about the Antichrist are crazy people. You notice that? All week long I was thinking about, remember, uh, maybe you remember Hal Lindsey's late great planet Earth back in the day? Right? Or maybe you were terrified in high school by that movie, A Thief in the Night. Remember that? Or maybe you grew up with the, uh, the whole Left Behind series and Kirk Cameron. And I'm not saying these are crazy people. But the people who generally talk about end time stuff kind of get swept up into this fervor. And they start making charts. And they start making timelines. They start starting cults, right? They start talking about, we're living in the end times. You know that, right? Donald Trump's the Antichrist, you know that. Vladimir Putin's the Antichrist, you know that, right? Your mom's the Antichrist, you know that, right? Everybody knows who the Antichrist is. Everyone knows when Jesus is coming back, right? And generally, people who talk about the Antichrist tend to be people that we want to steer clear of. These are the movies that left behind two on VHS. Maybe it's a great film, I don't know. But generally, when we talk about these topics, we feel like these are some fringe things. These aren't the things that normally relate to Christianity, which is interesting to me because John is <laughs> sitting down with these people who've been spiritually abused, and now he's talking about the end times with them. And yet, I think what John is trying to do is John is trying to come alongside these folks that have been hurt, that have been ripped to shreds, that have been abused spiritually, and, he, and he's trying to kind of bring out the elephant that he knows is in the room. And he says, what happened to you is you had an encounter with the Antichrist, at least someone who's walking in the spirit of the Antichrist. It's interesting, as you look through the writings of the apostles, you see that all over the place, they start telling these stories that in the time that we're living in, and this was the first century, in the time that we're living in, there are going to be people coming into churches all the time trying to destroy the flock who are powered by the devil, who are walking in the spirit, not the Holy Spirit, but the spirit of the Antichrist, and who are trying to destroy the work that God is trying to do. We don't think about this. But this is what John sees fit to bring to this person, these people who have been spiritually hurt, to say, I think we need to talk about the fact that spiritual warfare is real, that there are people in this world who are controlled by dark powers and who are hell-bent at coming into churches and destroying the faith of people like you. He says there's a chance that the person that you encountered was someone who is not a Christian at all, that the person who shipwrecked your faith is, was a person who's walking under the control of evil, walking in the spirit of evil and really can be classified as one of those people that the Bible calls and that John says, I call the Antichrist. And chances are, if you've had some people in your life kind of wreck your faith, you've never thought about this. Did you encounter the Antichrist? You know, normally we like to stick to just kind of the normal teaching of the apostles, right? We talk about the Bible, we talk about Jesus, we don't talk about the Antichrist. 
But when you start digging deeper into the New Testament, we see that this talk was everywhere. John's the only person who actually uses the word antichrist, but he uses it a lot. He wrote the book of Revelation, never mentions it there, but in chapter 2 of this book, he brings it up again. He says, who is the liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. In chapter 4, he says, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the antichrist, which you've heard is coming and is even now already in the world. In the next book, 2 John 7, he says, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. And Peter never says the word antichrist, but he says kind of in passing that we're living in these last times. And Jude says the same thing in his epistle. He says, they said to you, in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. And Paul talks about this person that comes in the spirit of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians. He says, that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. Even Jesus as he equips his disciples to navigate life in the world that's coming after his death and resurrection. He says, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. In Acts chapter 20 or so, the Apostle Paul is giving a speech to the elders from Ephesus, and he says, I'm leaving you. Watch out. Because after I leave, ravenous wolves will come and try to destroy the flock. All of the pastoral epistles are talking about false teachers and false teachings and people trying to infiltrate the church. Jude talks about men who come in and try to seduce weak-willed women and take advantage of people in the church. Coming in as spiritual posers, but really taking advantage of them sexually. All over the place is this idea that the church of Jesus Christ is a place where evil people are going to kind of come in. And suck the life out of you and then disappear. And over and over and over, every author of a New Testament book says we need to watch out for these people because they're everywhere and they're trying to get us. John sits in the sand with these people and says, I think that's what happened to you. Now, the job of pastors in the church, one of the things is to watch out for people like that, to kick out people like that, to look for people like that. But the reason that that's the job of the shepherd is to look out for wolves in sheep's clothing is because the wolves are real. And they come. It's not fun to think that maybe someone who infiltrated your life for a while and this disappeared with someone like that. But John says that that's, that happens, and that's terrible. But that happens. It all comes from this place in, in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. It talks about the Antichrist who will come. It says that the anointed one will come onto the earth. That's Jesus. The anointed one will come. But after the anointed one is put to death, all of a sudden, evil will start to reign. 
And the spirit of the Antichrist will start to go around the world and try to destroy churches until it finally culminates with the Antichrist himself, which is what John's talking about. The bigger picture Antichrist will step into the temple, be this abomination that causes desolation. And so everyone's realizing in the New Testament, we're living in this season where the anointed one is gone for a while. And now Satan's trying to take this thing down that Jesus started. So most of the Bible's teaching is be on your guard. But 1 John 2 is, they got you. John starts to encourage his listeners. In in chapter 2, verse 19, he says about these antichrist-type people, he says, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going out showed that none of them belonged to us. And kind of the first piece of counseling that John gives to these people whose faith has been shattered and broken by these folks. He says, listen, I know you're wondering, even kind of like this Stockholm Syndrome type thing, like, was that person right? John says, they came in, they chewed you up, they spit you out, and they left. The fact that they left, it shows that they are the enemy. I've been on staff here for 19 years, and we do church discipline as a church. You know, the Bible talks about if someone's in sin, then you should confront them of their sin. And if they don't repent, you bring more people. And if they don't repent, you bring more people. And eventually, you have to kind of kick them out of your assembly. But I'll tell you, in my 19 years of church ministry here, we've never had to exercise church discipline on a person who is sinning in a classic sense of the term. Someone who's committing adultery, someone who is in sexual sin, someone who is just lying and pathological. Because generally, when we start to confront those people, they just leave. In 19 years of ministry, all the cases of church discipline we've had to extend towards people and say leave and never come back have been towards people who are false teachers, who are wolves in sheep's clothing, who are trying to either seduce people spiritually or physically, and who will not stop teaching lies to people who have gathered to hear the truth. These are people who create meetings in the parking lot. I want to talk to you about some new theology, and don't tell Pastor Larry or Pastor Danny we're talking to you about this. These are people who grab kind of the pulpit in a class, and when they start teaching, they start teaching this strange thing out of left field. They take the microphone and start bringing folks up and creating healing services, and they will not stop, right? This happens in our church, and we have to come in and say, hey, what what are you doing? You're teaching this prosperity stuff. That's not what we teach here. And sometimes people say, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. Other times people say, that's because you're under the control of the devil, and I'm going to keep teaching the truth. And we say, okay, I think we got our work cut out for us. And so we've had to do that. We've had to come alongside people, and they hate us. Other times when they start realizing that the heat is turning up, they, they leave, and sometimes they take people with them. But most of the time, they leave, and what they leave behind is a community of friends that they were part of or a small group they were in who's just sitting on the ground thinking, what just happened to us? It happens. And we try to stop it, but it happens. We try to keep our eyes open, but it it happens. And sometimes it happens even here, and it's happened here to you. And John is saying, they're gone now. You're going to be okay. Something terrible has happened to you, but you're still here. 
You know, some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, why are we talking about this? <laughs> but this is such a strange topic. Like, this doesn't happen. And yet some of you are thinking, oh, I know exactly why we're talking about this. Because it happened to you. It's happened to someone that you know. I talked to someone this week who had a close friend who just went, got shipwrecked by a cult. And it, and it broke his brain. It ruined his life. Everything just changed because someone came in, came alongside, and sucked him into this false thing that just destroyed him from the inside out. It happens. It happens to people we know. Maybe it's happened to you. John sits down and kind of calls out this elephant in the room that I think you've been a victim of someone like this. And then he starts to open up and offer some words of encouragement. That's always a risky moment when someone that you know is facing something really hard. They've gone through something devastating and now you feel like they're done talking and it's time for you to talk. And there's this silence and they're looking at you like, just say something to make me feel better. <laughs> and so John could go a number of different directions with, with what he brings to these people whose faith has been hurt in such such a hard way. And yet what he brings to them is kind of interesting. It says in, in verse 20, you have an anointing from the Holy One. You have an anointing from the Holy One. And it sounds like a platitude. It's like, hey, you're God's kid. Don't you worry about it. Hey, God still loves you. He's got great plans for you. It's interesting, this word anointing is one that we don't use very often. And actually in the New Testament, they don't use very often either. It's used three times in the New Testament. A lot of times in the Old Testament, talking about anointing a priest, right? Or uh, there's this, this word anointing in James about anointing someone with oil. But that's a different word. This anointing word that John is using is a word where, where someone is kind of under the control and blessing of the Holy Spirit. You've been anointed by God, right? Like a king was anointed by God. A priest was anointed by God. And all over the New Testament, it rarely shows up, except for here. And John says it one other time, and one other author says it one other time. You have an anointing from God. And I think that where John is pulling this from here is that passage about the Antichrist in Daniel chapter 9. Remember that passage says that, that in the end times will begin when the anointed one, Jesus, is put to death. And it draws this really bleak scenario that, that our God is dead, and so Satan is trying to kill people, and false prophets are trying to destroy people. But John is coming alongside to remind them that, yes, Jesus died, but Jesus is not dead. The anointed one was put to death, and then he was risen to life. And more than that, he rose to life, and then he ascended into heaven. And more than that, he ascended into heaven, and then he sent his spirit in us. And so in a sense, as Christians, we are anointed by the Holy Spirit. And what John is trying to bring together for these folks is that even though it might seem sometimes that we live in a world where God is dead and we're out here on our own to be picked off by these wolves, like sheep just kind of wandering down the street, he says, Jesus is not dead. And the anointing of God has not left this world. When Jesus rose from the dead and he gave his spirit to believers, his anointing went everywhere. And so us, if you know Christ, you are walking in the anointing of God, that his spirit rests on you. God has made you powerfully saved from your sin. God is with you and will never 
stop abiding with you, that God loves you and cares for you. His spirit is always regenerating inside of you, that he has plans for you, of course, but even more than that in this point, that God's spirit rests on you and you're okay because he's got you. And we don't live in a season where Jesus is dead and gone and we're out to fend for ourselves. That yes, there is an enemy in this world. And yes, the enemy tries to steal and kill and destroy our faith and our life and everything about us. But if you know Jesus, John says, his anointing is on you. You're in his hand. You're under the shadow of his wings. And his spirit is working in you. And he, he's never going to leave. John doesn't give a lot of advice to people in this section, but, but he just keeps piling on this encouragement. And so as we close this morning and move into a time of communion, I, I want to pile on this encouragement on you. If you're someone who's experienced something like this and, and you've gone through this wreck in your faith and you're just sitting on the sidelines and you never want to move again, and you're hearing, okay, God is with me. Great, well, what else? Here are three pieces of encouragement that John gives to us. If you write things down, you can write this down. Number one, John says, don't give up. Verse 24, as for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. He doesn't say go out and do stuff for God. He says God is in you. Don't let that leave. And the fact that you're still here, probably means that you haven't walked away from the faith. It's still in you. John says, good. (laughs) That's where it starts. God's spirit rests on you. Don't let that leave. Don't let the teachings leave. Don't let, don't walk away from everything. Keep sitting there on your surfboard. Just, just stay there. Don't, don't give up. Second, John reminds them, Jesus is all that you need. So the anointing you receive from him remains in you. And you don't need anyone to teach you. This false teacher, you didn't need a new teaching. And where you're at now, you don't need some new teaching to get yourself out of this, to pull yourself up from this bootstraps. You don't need a better pastor. You don't need a better community of faith. You don't need a a better book to read, a better podcast. You don't need better sermons. You, You don't need to just pull yourself out of this by content from the outside. He says, what you need is already in you. The Spirit of God is in you. Don't walk away from him and You don't need anything more than that. Everything you need for life and godliness has already been planted in you in the seed of the gospel and the spirit of God who abides with you. That's what you need. Start with him. Third, John says, abide in Jesus. As his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. When Jesus was preparing his disciples to survive life in this world, he talked about antichrists, he talked about scary things, he talked about ferocious wolves, he talked about wolves in sheep's clothing, he talked about being on your guard, he talked about watching out for the enemy. But the last night before he left, Jesus said, here's the action step. Remain in me. Abide in me. Cling to me. Stay with me. And I will grow you to the place where you need to be grown. 
You know, if somebody came up to me on the beach that day and said, hey, Danny, I want to give you surf lessons, I would say, no. But you know what? If there was someone that I trusted, maybe not that day, <laughs> maybe today. I'm not telling you to do this, but maybe somebody came up to me and said, Danny, I, I want to get you back in the water. Listen, I'm going to teach you how to float and not fall off the board. Do you want to try that? I'd probably say, Okay. If I got used to floating and I was doing okay and they said, hey, can I show you how to paddle a little bit? I'd probably say, all right. If I started paddling and it was starting to work for me, they said, hey, can I show you how to catch a really small wave? I'd probably say, yeah, because they're with me. I trust them and they're taking me a step at a time. In a sense, John says, I want you to stick with Jesus because that's what he's going to do with you during this season. He hasn't left you, so don't leave him. His spirit is in you and that's enough. You don't need anything new. Just stick with him. And as you continue to abide in him, your faith will start to grow again. And I'm not telling you that someday you're going to lead a small group or someday you're going to be a pastor at a church or some. Who knows what God's going to do as he grows you, but God will grow you because that's what God does when his spirit interacts with someone who's been transformed by him. This morning, as we receive communion this morning, I would love to just sit and reflect and be with him. You know, in a sense, you hold this bread in your hand, you hold this cup in your hand, and you're kind of just staring at it like, like you're sitting on a surfboard, staring at the sand, you're staring at it. And I think one of the things that we don't realize often is that in your hands, in a sense, you have everything you need for the life that God has given to you. And Jesus said, I, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats of me will never die. Right? Jesus said, this blood is my new covenant, right? My blood flows through your veins now, and I will never reject you. I will always be with you. Eat of me, drink of me. All you need is not communion. All you need is Jesus. And as we hold these elements this morning and we reflect and we let this music minister to us, maybe you just need to take a deep breath and ask yourself if you can trust the fact that Jesus Christ is all that you need. If you're a Christian this morning, feel free to grab the bread and grab the cup and hold on to it while we reflect. If you're not a believer, just let it pass on by. That's fine. Use this time to reflect and pray. Seek the Lord and grow in your trust of him as you sit with him.